the form actually, you know, asks you to identify what are the factors in the context, context that are maybe influencing this situation, you know, because we're treating the patient, we're not treating the scan, we're not treating the x-ray, we're treating a, a whole human being. So the form, you have to identify what are the contextual factors here and also what are the cognitive factors, you know, how is this patient thinking about this problem? And what and, and and those particularly where I'm working at the moment, I do some work in a homeless shelter. Uh, those psychological factors very very important to address, uh, and 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 because that makes us clinicians. You know, we we need to be as much in tune with our patients' emotional uh, status as anything else. You know, the 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 power of empathy, the power of kindness. In, I think, you know, modern medicine was so rushed, the NHS is so rushed, that we forget the power of kindness. The, the, you know, in my, it, I, I've worked in this homeless shelter for over 10 years now, and sometimes it's a question of how many sugars do you want in your tea? Because we're going to sit down, we're going to address this problem together. Welcome to the Biology of Business, where we talk about the anatomy and physiology of a business so you can apply your clinical reasoning skills to your business reasoning and create a healthy, sustainable, impactful and profitable clinic. I hope you enjoy listening and subscribe. Welcome to the Biology of Business. I'm Kate and today we have the absolute pleasure of being joined by specialist physiotherapist, senior lecturer and MDT tutor, Phil Commons. Hello, Phil. Thank you very much for joining us today. Hello, Kate. And it's great to see you. So, Phil, you've joined us today because you've finished reading Robin McKenzie's Against the Tide and you're keen to share your review of the book and its application to the real world. Sure. Uh, Robin, uh, some of your listeners may not know that there is a there is an autobiography uh, written by Robin McKenzie, who uh, who died in 2013 now, but left is a tremendous legacy for physiotherapy. And he has so many awards and acclamations and honorary, honorary presidencies and OBEs and, you know, but people don't know about his life work. And the book title is called Against the Tide. And it's really a resume of how difficult it was to have his ideas accepted in a time when the medical profession was completely dominant. Uh, yes, yeah, so it's a, gr- it's a great little book. And uh, it was, it uh, helped writing it was a man called Ron Bibby, who's an American uh, a physiotherapist uh, who worked in the Air Force. So it's all a really interesting book. So musculoskeletal disorders are the most prevalent condition in society and a huge cost. I'm not sure if they're the number one cost, but they're certainly high up there with being extremely costly on society too. And of course, Robin McKenzie felt he found a solution to address this. He did, Kate. And um, that was way back in 1956, and uh, he talks about his uh, patient and he's long forget, long, long, long since forgotten his name. But a patient who he'd been treating with uh, hands-on because he was a manipulative physiotherapist uh, was put in, uh, laid on, laid on his couch. In a, uh, the couch was in in a uh, we we'll call it now a half-lying position, uh, uh, this kind of position. And the patient who'd had a raging sciatica for three, had been treating for three weeks, uh, he lay in an extended position. And when Robin came came into the room, he said, 
uh, my leg pain's completely gone. I've got back pain, but I've no leg pain. And Robin said, oh, right. Uh, but he'd not been able to get rid of the leg pain at all. And he realized that the patient using his own forces had actually created uh, a very important result. So he started to research with positions and movements uh, and forces. And that's really what the uh, McKenzie method is about, how we can use uh, our own natural movements and then applied forces through uh, therapist applications to get the best results for the patients. And uh, so, I will come. Yeah. At that point in time in the 50s, mm. physiotherapists were very much just technicians and doing what was mm. what they were told and what was prescribed to them. Yeah, that's right, Kate. And, um, you know, that's persisted to some extent uh, to this day. But uh, physiotherapists have gained greater autonomy through getting higher qualifications. Uh, you know, they moved, they got rid of the diploma. And they then moved to a BSc Honours and then a Master's. And in, and in the States, again, a doctorate in physiotherapy is the preferred uh, entry qualification. Not sure it's fully uh, accepted in every, everywhere. But, you know, that, that gave the physiotherapists uh, more autonomy over their decision making and it, and it upped their skills in diagn- diagnosis and therapy. It meant that the, certainly in the universities, the physiotherapists have got to be able to be very clear on why they're doing what they're doing. And of course, that's the uh, McKenzie assessment forms are really very, very uh, careful pieces of work and cover the uh, the spine and, and the extremity. So they're very good and they can be downloaded free from the website. So, you know, so basically his uh, premise was if you're going to do something, you have to have the proof that it works. And and he using the movements and assessments and the patient responses, you show that this is this is the thing that will help the patient. You categorize the patients. It's a subgrouping of the patients before you then treat. But what I think is absolutely fascinating is how the discovery was accidental. And at the time the physiotherapist's role was to be an assistant to the doctor who was going to prescribe exactly what you were going to do, whether they had any knowledge or experience in terms of uh, how we move and therapeutic movements or not. And the discovery that Robin made was accidental. It wasn't intentional. The patient had been sent, had gone into the room and had positioned themselves there. What the genius was, was recognising that something had worked and then pursuing that to gather more evidence that it worked and that body movements alone can solve musculoskeletal pain. That's exactly right, because he was a very shrewd observer of human movement, and he he was very careful about that. And that's perhaps one of his strengths, that before he started to publicise his method, he recorded everything, you know? And and it's that and it's that observation and that careful recording. And he employed statisticians, statisticians, can't say, it, uh, uh, you know, to to really show. But so when when he set out to let the world know and write his first book uh, in the eighties, he he was pretty sure this method works. And what is what's very interesting about about the book, uh, this book is. He records when when he was invited to go to eastern Siberia in 1993. 
And, um, it, you know, all the courses, the courses, uh, McKenzie courses, people go on them. You treat the patients in front of the group because it's about, does this method work? Does the patient, uh, can we empower patients uh, to get better themselves? Can we apply our forces when they're needed? But it's that whole thing of let's let's look at some patients and see. So he went to Eastern Siberia, and there's a whole chapter on this grueling journey where he seemed to be. (laughs) He seemed to be going to the end of the world before you know he got there, Uh, and uh, you know apart from drinking a lot of vodka in the five days, uh, he treated 21 patients. And they just kept coming and coming. Normally on a four-day course, you treat about four or five patients. But in that in that time there, uh, he was invited. Uh, the, the Russian Academy for Men- Medical Science, they'd heard about this man. And they got him there. And he treated in front of the audience 21 patients. And, and of course, he'd already knew that this method works. So it's that that thing of demonstrating. And, and you know, it's not about getting everybody better. You know, we can't get everybody better. But there are subgroups of people that we can rapidly reverse. And, you know, one of the first American orthopedic surgeons who started listening carefully to Robin McKenzie was a man called Ron Donaldson. And he was a surgical, he was a surgeon. And after listening and listening to Robin and seeing what he could do with patients, he he had the he had the courage to say what you're telling me that all the surgeries that I do not always necessary, and you know he then wrote a book which is which I took one of my trips to North Korea actually, and uh, it's the the book that they already had and sorry I didn't take it they already had it when I arrived, and it was. It's called rapidly reversible low back pain, you know, and, and, you know, if you're careful about the assessment and you identify uh, what's called a direction of preference and utilize that direction, there's a there's a distinct category of patients who you can very quickly reverse reverse their back pain and restore them to obviously what we're after is functional movement and uh, quality of life. Now, I remember quite a while ago, and I really can't remember the clinician that I'm going to quote or probably badly quote, when I was working with netballers and basketballers and the knee injuries and ankle injuries that are prevalent in those sports, there was, um, I'm sure it was an American physio, but anyway, she observed or her observation was, it's about learning to put your body in a better place. You're landing, these basketballs and netballers, if you're landing with a bad posture, essentially, you're creating the risk of injury. And if you can learn to land well, you can mitigate that risk of injury. So the point being that movement as well, it makes sense that movement can be therapeutic because movement can obviously contribute towards the causing of an injury. You know, the shoulder in the wrong place at the wrong time, I know too well, from personal experience can cause dislocation and a hell of a lot of pain. So of course, movement can contribute, can create injury. Therefore, there's absolutely no reason just logically why it can't therefore be used to heal injury. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, Kate. I used to be, I used to play for Lancashire schoolgirls netball. <laughs> well so, you know, you're close to my heart. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Phil, what's obviously interesting then is because Robin made this discovery 
and was very meticulous from the sounds of it in terms of gathering supporting evidence and research to develop and prove his theory. But he was still going to have to push against the medical dogma of the time and the ego, the professional egos that existed in healthcare too. He was. And, you know, uh, one one things I, I, until I read the book, I hadn't realised uh, how he persevered with this, you know, uh, because you put yourself up on a pedestal, the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to get pushed down. And he he was at his own cost and mortgage, remortgaging his house, etc. He he made these trips around the world, uh, in America, Europe, etc., where there are now big teaching faculties. Uh, and he he was openly put down in conferences when he showed video of patients with big shifts getting better and what he did. And and you know, one particular surgeon stood up and he said quite openly in front of thousands of others, Robbie Mackenzie, what you're saying to us is just not true, uh, that, that it does not happen. We open the spine and we see it and it does not happen, you know? And, you know, of course, Robin wasn't, didn't, I was so amazed at the put-downs that he just didn't know the answer. And, of course, afterwards, when he thought about it, he said, well, of course, you you know, most of the material that you remove is the disc material. It's it's moved and it's moved and it's compressing a nerve or whatever. So things do happen that I'm describing. Because at the time he, he utilised what's called a disc model to explain his theory. He, uh, we've moved on uh, since then. But remember, this was the 50s and not the benefit of MR scans, etc. And... Uh, and uh, you know, and and then fifteen years later, he relates that the very same surgeon came to him and said, "Robin, uh, I've, I owe you an apology. I was very hard on you. What you were saying was exactly right. I was completely wrong, and I owe you an apology." And, and again, you know that 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 was a big thing for Robin because he used to go back to New Zealand, his hometown, and he used to be so put down that he used to. <laughs> He used to build walls. He he was building big walls walls around his garden. You know, he had to have some outlet for the yeah. disappointment. You know, and and I admire that about somebody being able to persevere against criticism. None of us like it, but he he knew he could. In fact, he when he he started a a, a thing called a lot the lodge, and this was a project, and he and he and he wanted the the. Um, uh, the um, the chronic back pain patients to come to him. He said, we want you to send us patients whose life has been destroyed by disabling back pain. And he reckoned that two-thirds of them, with a proper assessment and treatment, could be fully rehabilitated. And that's what he began to show, that you could actually rehabilitate these people and get them fit, get them back to work, and basically get them out of pain. And that's not everybody, but he showed that the, this was possible with a good assessment. So the McKenzie method is a diagnostic as much as it is treatment. Was that yeah. a residential program, the lodge? Yeah, it was a twelve-day residential program, and he said he said you give me forty patients a month. You know the GPs, you can send me who you think who people whose life is being you know really dominated. But unfortunately, again, through the, uh, you know, 
through the politics that were going on, eventually that program closed because uh, of the, the lack of support. Because again, it's people being challenged that someone else can do something better. Yes, it's a lot easier to criticise than it is to create. It is. Mm. But you see, the, the Mackenzie Institute International, it's the teaching faculty, is now teaching in over 40 different countries. I introduced it in Bangladesh in 2000, and now in India, and it's in Japan, Russia, uh, you know, the Balkan states. It's there, and because it works, and the, the basically... It's the it's the correct categorization of the patient's problem. So what you're, you're describing oh, with Robin then, sorry, go on, Phil. What I'm understanding you're describing with Robin is he would have this immense frustration when he hit an obstacle or an objection to his mm. system and what he knew was working. I'm imagining going home, taking the anger out and building the brick wall, <laughs> but having to find another way to communicate, to express, to show, to demonstrate what he was seeing. Now, and, and essentially what you were describing is the sort of a language or cultural barrier that he was having to overcome. And it must have been similar, I'm guessing, in East Siberia. But also for you, when you went to Bangladesh, what you're describing here is if you've got a tool that you know works, then you, you've found a way or there is a way to overcome these cultural and communication obstacles to help a person get better. Yeah, I, I mean, in Bangladesh, I did two trips to Bangladesh. Uh, the first, the first one, I just, I just worked there as a clinician and learnt the language, uh, because the language is the way into any culture. Yeah. So the first, the first uh, four, four and a half years, uh, I worked, I worked. But you know, it, it was that uh, at the time that my first stint there, which was eighty nine to ninety three, I didn't, I didn't really. Uh, I knew there were a lot of severe back pain patients coming to me. And I I didn't have the I didn't have the McKenzie method on board. Um, I had you know traditional you know uh, hand skills, tractions, electrotherapies, all that. I, but I didn't have this diagnostic tool. So when I came home in '93, back to my old job in Leeds, um, I I was hungry to learn, and I was very fortunate in that Steve Young, who was uh, had just completed his diploma. And he was using the assessment form and he was doing repeated movements with patients and looking at the patient responses. And I said, Steve, can can I use that form? And and uh, he said, of course you can. Yeah, anybody can use it. And I said, well, what, what is RFI, RFIL, uh, repeated flexion in lying? I, I did, you know, I didn't know what the terms meant. So within three months, I uh, I was on an A course. Uh, uh, in uh, in the Midlands, in Birmingham, and I set myself a goal a goal of completing completing the the four courses and the exam in two years. That was my goal because I knew I needed to go. I would like to go back to Bangladesh and be able to teach it. And eventually, it took me longer than longer than that to get back to Bangladesh because uh, my father died uh, of lung cancer in the in the in the meantime. And and of course those things are really important uh, to be here for. So it took me a few years to get back. But the, the advantage I had in Bangladesh when I went back, I was in in a teaching institute in the capital and also working spinal cord injury. I was working and teaching, 
Uh, but we had a, a BSc course and the students were hungry to learn. And, you know, I could get if and they were they were hungry to learn because they knew that being educated was into some ways the way up in society. Now it's like Tony Blair used to say, education, education, education. But in a in a in a poor situation in a poor country, they were after qualifications because it gave them the uh, the ability to socially advance. And uh, so they were hungry to learn. So as in a, and and also you were you were given a, a privileged position. Now so so Robin was moving against the tide. I was giving them something they were hungry to learn and I found that our second year students knowing this tool could say to me Phil this does not fit this patient's pain does not fit and a second year student could could identify uh, someone who uh, I need mean, think of one particular instance where she said I- I've tried this and it doesn't fit and that particular person uh, turned out to be a TB spine you know uh, mm-hmm. And 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 so you know and there's so it, it's not difficult. The nice thing about the system is it's fairly straightforward. You know, keep it keep it simple. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> and you know, I think that's almost one of the things that you have to unlearn and relearn when you go through the process of doing the MDT courses. Is it's actually really quite simple. Once you get through it, you realise this is really uh, and not to overcomplicate things. Yeah. And, and, you know, there are certain things that you learn because some of our patients are very complex and, you know, they come with all sorts of psychological and and um, environmental things related to their job and their work. And those things are really important to acknowledge. But if you can weave forward, what part of this problem can we influence mechanically? And some of those Yellow frags, the anxiety, the 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 fear, the 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 catastrophizing. You know, once they see, actually, I can get control of my back pain. I can literally do something about it myself. Then some of those we, we would identify them as yellow frags. Just just go into thin air, you know. Because of course, that is one of the criticisms of MDT and of medicine in general, healthcare industry in general, that we see people or people are seen as mechanical beings. Yeah. not as whole humans or spiritual beings. Um, uh, the, form, the form actually, you know, asks you to identify what are the factors in the context context that are maybe influencing this situation, you know, because we're treating the patient, we're not treating the scan, we're not treating the x-ray, we're treating a, a whole human being. So the form you have to identify what are the contextual factors here and also, what are the cognitive factors? You know, how is this patient thinking about this problem? And what and 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 those, particularly where I'm working at the moment, I do some work in a homeless shelter. Uh, those psychological factors very very important to address, uh, and and to, and because that makes us clinicians. You know, we we need to be as much in tune with our patients' emotional. Uh, status as anything else you know the, the the power of empathy the power of kindness in I think you know modern medicine was so rushed the NHS is so rushed that we forget the power of kindness the the you know in my it I, I've worked in this homeless shelter for over 10 years now and sometimes 
It's a question of how many sugars do you want in your tea? Because we're going to sit down, we're going to address this problem together. Apart and there isn't fact, a randomised control trial to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from the fact that I like tea as well. You know. <laughs> but, but, you know, looking, looking, what is it? Where in their life this need is occurring? You know, they've got all complexities of things going on. You know? Now, something that I think you've done absolutely brilliantly, which is a lesson for both the independent sector and for public health, is where you have taken the service you offer at the crypt in Leeds to the point of need rather than expecting the people to come to you. Can you just describe a little bit about that process of setting up the service that you have in the crypt? Because it is marketing genius. Yeah, well, well, of course, uh, I... Working as a senior lecturer in uh, Leeds Beckett, so we're working with BSc honours. And uh, when 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 you're there, you're in charge of certain modules. So the module I was uh, given, I was put in charge of, was uh, exercise for health. Okay, so we we and it and it was particularly looking at, at groups that are um, on the periphery of society. You know, who don't don't have a good deal from the society. Often the groups that we mar- are marginalised. So I invited uh, a speaker in from uh, an organisation called Simon on the Streets, and he talked about the problems of rough sleepers. Now, you know, here we are, a health faculty, realising the very high morbidity and mortality rate in this group. So I said, "Well, can we not help? Can, you know, here we've got all, we've got a class of." You know, we've got we've got we've got hordes of students all eager for clinical experience. Uh, the problem was that on the streets is not a good place to operate. So I went to uh, a charity in Leeds, uh, and it's within walking distance of the university. And I said, look, we've got our students. Can we set up a drop-in service for your clients? And, you know, at lunchtime, they have a, a through floor of about 70 to 80, mainly men with all problems. And uh, that we that's a setup. I bought, I bought a, 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 a table from eBay for £70. I bought a bag of things. I've got a seatbelt, got a towel, got a pillow. I've got my brain, got a few bandages because there are a lot of wounds and care, care needed for the wounds. And uh, we said, right, anybody... Stand on a chair. Anybody who's got a problem, listen. If we can address it and try and help you, and that's how it started. And so now, uh, that was back in 2011. So, so any anything that came through the doors, and on average, in in one mainly one session, so between five and nine patients, and and that's the same today. We see about between five and nine every week, and usually I have a couple of students with me. And we do the best we can. But, you know, it turns, for some of those, it, it turns them around completely. Uh, because in, in the complexity of problems that they have, we're adre- we're making a difference in one area. And some of them, of course, are using the hard drugs to control the pain. Because if they're in severe pain, they, uh, and they're, they're known drug addicts, and not all of them are, but several are, they, 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 they're not prescribed opioids because of the uh, drug addiction. And um, so, therefore, we need we need to find ways of addressing pain that doesn't depend on drugs. Otherwise, they go out and they can they know the channels they can obtain drugs through, and that's what they often want to combat. 
they, they know that life's in a mess and they need to do something about it. So it's a bit of a win-win situation here. We, we can help them. So you could have set up exactly the same service in the university and kind of said, our doors are open, come to us, but that wouldn't have worked. And equally, it wouldn't have worked you guys being on the street. But what you found is it worked was, right, well, we know where the people we wish to serve are at lunchtime in a viable number, how many days a week, we will go there and set up there. So you knew exactly who your target audience was how you could help them in terms of what you could bring to them, which just certainly sounds like it's evolved as you've understood their needs more and more, and you were able to take your service to them, to their point of need. Indeed. And, you know, when Nye Bevan set up the NHS in the late 40s, 48, uh, he he wanted that service to be free at the point of need. And we've done three pieces of research uh, on the on the work with the homeless and you know, one of those, one of those is uh, the student who was an absolutely brilliant student. You know, the question she was asking and she presented at the CSB conference was, where is that point of need? Where is it? And, you know, for some people that they're in their lives in chaos, they can't get to an appointment at 10 plus nine in the morning. They can't, they can't, you know, uh, they're, they're not, they're not clean, clean, often they they're, depending on where they're coming from, they're not clean and spruced up with clean underwear to go for appointments. We we need to address where they're at. Just as we go into the community and address where elderly people, and we've created community services for the elderly, to me, this is a disaster area. And in disaster zones, that you need a team that are going into that. And the occupational therapists knew that well before us. The occupational therapist already got funded posts in Savon, in, in Leeds, by, through the Bevan Trust. And they go around in a mobile van and they go around to all the homeless shelters and offer that service. Now, the physios, we're not quite yet, quite there yet, but the message is there. You know, our community services need to be services that reach out and, and make a difference where people are at. Of course, the supermarkets know that very well. They place the chocolate bars. Just in the queue when you're waiting for your with your bag to go out because they 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 put put the service right under their your nose and make and it that's easy. What, yeah make it make easy access. Of course, overseas it's the same message. You know, when I I worked in Bangladesh for ten years, and the main message is that people need services where they can access them. You know, and and when you put that service there, they will access it. And and they will they will work with you because it's in their interest and they soon realise it. So Phil, you're clearly never shy of a challenge. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did this? You worked in North Korea for a little while as well, and I'm very curious to find how this uh, ethos that you have functions when you were under. Well, I'm presuming you were under surveillance in North Korea. How were you able to? deliver what you believe in so passionately and I'm sure you break many rules to be able to do so yet yeah being in a regime that um perhaps required you to be under more surveillance than you are elsewhere I think I think Kate you know when you go through the and as you have you've gone through the diploma uh what what it does is give you confidence in in the system you know, and, and you don't need to be in too much of a rush to get everybody better. You know, take it steady. 
So what you get, what you have is confidence in your uh, clinical skills. That That's what it gives you. And so, you know, I, I my background is I, I'm one of 12 kids. I don't know if you know that. I, I grew up in a family of, I grew up in a tribe and it's survival of the fittest. <laughs> you know, and my family have done well. Various members have done very, very well. But that kind of, um, okay, let, 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 let's do what we can. It's the do what we can in the situation. Uh, and now, so I worked in a, uh, I worked in Bangladesh where I worked for 10 years. But while I was there, my PhD, I did a PhD at Leeds University, and it was in disability studies. And the title of the PhD was around, it was around uh, what is the patient experience? And can we, can we uh, uh, match our intervention with the patient's articulated need? So I, I looked at uh, all the different ways in which physiotherapy was being delivered. Uh, you know, some of them community models developed by um, uh, developed by international organisations. They develop much more community models, and 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 I looked at the sort of the gender issues as well. You know, because in in Bangladesh, often, for example, in in the institute I was working in, the the men got the treatment, but women less much less able to access the services. And that went for children as well. So, so what I was looking at is what what are the articulated needs of the population groups, and when we address that correctly, it's the idea of qualities meeting the needs of the customer. Therefore, you've got to know the needs of the customer. And in the developing world, those needs are myriad. They're, those needs are related to poverty. And so, when I came back to Leeds. I, I am noticing this, this community of homeless people on the streets and thinking, well, what are their articulated needs? So, you know, our research has been at, uh, as in the crypt have been, letting them talk and saying, what makes a difference? And do you know what makes a difference? They say, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. That has been the main finding of the research. Uh, of course, we have to have those skills but the delivery of those skills needs to be in an empathic, very patient-centered way to, to, to really meet needs. You know, it's the same with all our patient groups. We, we bring ourselves into the cubicle and we have got to, we, we've got, but with, with mechanical dining, you've got a very strong tool and you deliver it in a way. Robin McKenzie's talking about empowering people, you know, giving them, if you know the answer, well, you let them know the answer as well. Talk in their language. You know, be on, be where they're at, not where you're at. You know, these are all good lessons for the students and uh, and for myself. So are you get to get to North Korea. Oh yeah, sorry, yes, getting carried away. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. all right. So oh. when I came back in two thousand four, and I, I got I got a job back in the NHS, and uh, I worked back in the NHS in uh, near Manchester. Few years. Again, realizing the NHS is changing as well. Uh, you know that was good, and and then I got a job part time in in uh, the university and part time in the clinician as a clinician. But I had the opportunity then to go to Afghanistan, and of course you can imagine in Afghanistan uh, the the clinicians, the physiotherapy association, don't get much chance 
to have CPD. So while I was in Afghanistan and I was doing a project assessment, a community project assessment, so not related to physiotherapy, related more to my PhD, I was doing a community project assessment for just for a few weeks. I also taught the Afghans about MDT uh, just for three days with the permission of the Institute. Can I share these people? And then I went directly over to uh, Madagascar because the trust had a had a uh, uh, a project going where we could share our skills with uh, developing the developing world. So I went in actual fact. I went three times to Madagascar on a teaching teaching uh, roles, and then I got this wonderful opportunity to go to North Korea uh, through uh, an association that were working with disability in North Korea. And the doors opening in North Korea. Uh, so I went to a wonderful institute in the capital and I taught 23 doctors because they call, they're all doctors, but uh, they don't really have the, the professions that we have. So I taught them for a few days. And, you know, you discover certain things. I discovered in Afghanistan, and this needs saying, they have such a sense of humor. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, what I discovered in uh, in Madagascar is uh, the doctors are so laid back. They're totally laid back, and they they when they come on a course, they're here to enjoy themselves. <laughs> and so once I realised that we're all here to enjoy ourselves, <laughs> I could really I could really relax and enjoy Hello. teaching them. We had a lot of lot of fun, uh, and and of course in and then in North Korea. Uh, uh, of course, you, you've got the very close supervision. So I, I was, I'm very behaving myself a lot. I can behave myself. And uh, everything was through translation. But, you know, again, you found the receptivity and the eagerness to learn. It, it was it was quite an experience. And I, I'd love to go again, to be honest with you. And, you know, I'd love to take anyone else who would like to go again. <laughs> So something else that you're passionate about, people understanding, is the adaptability, because you're certainly describing how adaptable you have been in working in many, many environments, and where there can be this tendency for humans to want to control their environment, you're describing actually there's a huge level of adaptability that we all have if we just allow ourselves to play with it. That, that's right. and. And listen to the patients, and 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 not be, not be too, too anxious to be, to solve the problem too fast. It's to understand the problem, uh, and you know, Mackenzie didn't solve everybody's problem, but his his premise was understand the nature of the problem, and and some of these problems we can address, some of them we can't address. But every patient, one of the biggest need for a patient is to be listened to mm. and uh, listen. And sometimes the only thing you can do is maybe take off some of the provocative forces and change that the way that they're sitting or remind them and about, you know, that can be provoking or the sleeping or the neck pillows or how they, you know, it's, it's the simple things that can start to change thing, something around. Because most people... Uh, and we do it ourselves, we catastrophize, you know, this is the end of me with this problem. When when it's not the end of us, we, we, we just need appropriate help at the, at the right moment in the right place. Uh, 
course, the the McKenzie method now is uh, is now uh, addresses the extremities as well, and and most people know treat your own back, treat your own necks. But now we've got the treat, you know, we've got the treat your own knees and treat your own hips and treat your own shoulders. So yeah, yeah. So it's uh, there's a lot out there for people to uh, take advantage of. What I want to just pick up there, because I think we all see it um, within ourselves and also within certainly newer graduates, is this desire to fix people fast in two sessions, in one session, in no sessions. It's like a competition. How fast can you get people better? Whereas you're describing, actually, it is really important to build that relationship, to show that empathy, to take the time, to make sure you that the patient is understood and the nature of the problem is understood. Exactly, exactly, Kate. And uh, and take take the patient with you. You go on that journey with them as the skilled helper, that you're on that journey because we know that the biggest factor, and very interesting studies around about what predicts another episode of back pain. Uh, and there are things about the, uh, the scan that may predict it, but the biggest subjective predictor is that is the number of previous episodes so so really because we know that back pain is recurrent uh the biggest thing you can do is not only address this episode but educate the patient about the future episodes because we know that that, that it's going to happen again you know so yes we're, we're with them on that journey because something I picked up from Ron saying was this complete contradiction between back pain being, oh, it'll get, you know, the GP, it'll get better in six weeks. It, it reverses itself. It doesn't sit. It completely contradicts with the fact it's such a huge, it's highly recurrent and um, such a leading cause of disability. It's not congruent. That's right. And about a year later, about 50% of the people who have had an episode have had another episode within a year. So this is about getting our population healthier and knowing how to manage problems better for their own for their own sense of control over that problem. That's right, exactly right. And people stop 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 going to the GP. Here we are again. But they they really need to know, be be able to look at themselves and say, Ah, now I know what to do. And I think what you're describing, if I've understood correctly, with the uh, a homeless population that you're helping at the crypt is it just emphasizes that when somebody's uh, listened to, heard, understood, empowered in one area of their life, there is a ripple effect. But you, as the practitioner, can never know what that ripple effect is going to be. That's right. It's interesting that uh, some people come to me and say, You saw me five years ago. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Did I? <laughs> Did I? <laughs> You know, but they remember that that small intervention, uh, and and they, you know, hopefully, you know, your hope is that you've you've helped them at a crucial a crucial point. Uh, but I, you know, when I okay, I see this this group that are have got very specific complex needs, but in the practice that I work in, I think all our patients are the same. You know, they may be socioeconomically and on that educational ladder and actually you know the bottom line is all the patients are the same you know whatever nation they're in you know in 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 Bangladesh one of the students did his research project with uh, illiterate 
people who worked in paddy fields, could we teach them about back pain? And could we produce a simple sheet using uh, using illustrations that told them what to do? You know, and one of them was if you've got bladder problems, go and see a real doctor. You know. <laughs> A real doctor, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, but, you know, it also showed them how they can use their, uh, they, they they use a piece, piece of cloth wrapped around their head uh, called a gumption, and they can take that off the head and use it to do some extension, if extension, because they're often in flexion in the paddy fields, you know, and that, but that, sim- that, that simple stuff is as effective in in that environment as it is in, you know, People who are working in high-powered jobs, who are at the computer, you know, seven, eight hours a day, and and get under-exercised, um, it, it, it's effective for both because basically we we have a musculoskeletal system. Yeah. Bill, what is your key takeaway that you would like the listeners to have understood from reading from your reading of Against the Tide? I would say a key t- takeaway is, um, well, obviously, uh, for all of us, we can uh, we can always keep on learning. We can all of us learn to do things better. We can all, you know, there's so much knowledge and education out there for us. So take advantage of of the learning. The the McKenzie Institute International it's got a beautiful website. Uh, there you can get lots of resources. There's a there's a, a resource called the Mechanical Care Forum, run by America with lots of free podcasts, run by a, a, a man called Jason Ward, and there's lots of CPD. So I'd say key message: keep learning, keep growing, keep persevering, keep doing the great job that we that we can do as physios. Thank you very much for your time, Phil. My pleasure, Kate, and thanks for what you're doing. You're doing a great job yourself. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you grow your practice for free. Firstly, grab a copy of how to create a super successful practice plan at marchandmethod.com forward slash grow. And whilst you're there, you can check out the free training that'll help you tackle common problems practice owners just like you face. Thirdly, at marchandmethod.com forward slash grow, you can sign up for my free newsletter where I send out weekly hints and tips. You'll also get links to the podcast, articles and other resources that you might find helpful and inspiring as you grow your practice. And finally, please leave a five-star review so I can access more influential guests and bring their lessons back to you here.